Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 9. Verse 9. This is what the four lepers were saying one to another. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, then we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 9. And thinking especially that the day of a good tidings is not a time to hold our peace but to speak. Before coming to some main points I just want to glean several things from this account. If we were to read the end of the previous chapter then we can see what a severe trial this famine was in the city brought to uh, be surrounded so they could not get any food and were really starving. They hadn't got the food for themselves or their horses or anything. We read in verse 25 of the previous chapter, there was a great famine in Samaria and behold they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And a very severe trial indeed. And you know when we have the current news from other nations, Ukraine, and get a picture of a land like ours, streets like ours, houses like ours, and then the enemy comes and reduces our houses to rubble, our land to be just devastated, and then we see that gradually they're cutting off fuel and touching the electrics, and a place that we might think, well, that could never happen to our land. We cannot come to such trials without food or without water or electricity, and... Yet these things that happened in the days of the scriptures, they can and they have happened in many lands today and still are happening. And fallen man will still do to one another the same things. And so it is good for us to be reminded, our Lord has said, that we shall hear wars and rumours of wars. And yet here is a time that really impacted upon the lives of all of them in that city. And yet God had a way of deliverance and of help for them. And so may we always sing, whatever comes and the Lord appoints all things that come into our lives and in nations that nothing is too hard for the Lord to help in and to deliver from. We have a most solemn account here of unbelief. When there was told an expectation of what the Lord would do. He has said that tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate to Samaria. Then there was a Lord on whose hand the king leaned. And he really was mocking. He said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And there is a most solemn word that Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And the holy inspired word of God 
the latter part, the latter four verses of this account, a large proportion really of this account, is given to show how that came to pass. And that Lord was put in charge of the gate when the people rushed out to get the food they trade upon him and he died. The most solemn judgment of unbelief, of mocking or limiting the Holy One of Israel. And when we think of the children of Israel, why they were turned back for 40 years in the wilderness was because they looked upon all the giants of Canaan and did not believe that the Lord was able to deliver them. Unbelief is what is mentioned in Hebrews, the lessons of unbelief, why they, the children of Israel perished in the wilderness was because of unbelief. It is a, a chief sin, a great sin. We should never nourish it. We should always remember these passages that speak of the solemn judgment on those that in, in effect say, God is not able to deliver. He can't do what he says he will do. He may testify of what he will do, but he won't do it, or he can't do it. And we especially to remember that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the word of the Lord to us as sinners, when it comes to us who are in a worse position than what, the Samaria was in these days, spiritually, we are so fallen, we are lost, we are dying sinners. And in the gospel, there is the hope that is raised up and the precious promises of God. And unbelief and Satan will say, God does not mean what he says. He will not do what he says. He will not perform what he says. And it disannuls the word of God. Be very, very careful that we do not walk in the way that this Lord did. That when the Lord says one thing, then something says within us, or we may even utter it, that we don't believe that the Lord really is saying what he is saying, and he will not do it. Another thing that I bring from this how often when the Lord appears, we cannot anticipate how he will appear. How could they ever have thought the Lord would deliver them in this way? It is a unique way in the scriptures. Only once do we read of such a thing. And we might say naturally, why didn't they get on their horses? They would have run a lot quicker like that than running on feet. But the way the Lord ordered it, they left their horses. He made it so that the provision was all there for his people. And when we think back, we think of how the Lord in Noah's day destroyed the world. Could that have been anticipated? How he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. Could that have been thought? Well, God would destroy them in that way? No. When the children of Israel were to go out of Egypt after nine signs and wonders, they still were as much prisoners in the, as in the beginning. But who would then have thought that, well, the shedding of blood of the Passover, the Lamb, that would do it immediately. That was God's way. And it always is God's way in the way of salvation it is only through the shedding of the true Paschal Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, his blood, that there's ever any deliverance from this world, from sin, from death, from hell. But then when the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, and they'd got the Egyptians behind, the mountains each side, the Red Sea in the beginning, who would have thought that the Lord would have dried up the Red Sea? and made a way for them to pass over on dry land. And then 40 years later stopped up Jordan so they could again walk over on dry land. When they got the other side and there was Jericho shut up, who would have thought 
that God was going to design to lay those great thick walls of Jericho flat. All the time we have things that the Lord has done in the Word of God that are unique. There are only things that God could do and devise to do are reminded again and again that with God nothing shall be called impossible and that he does things that we have not looked for. And some of us in our lives, we can see how the Lord has done that in our lives as well. And it's a good thing to watch for this handiwork of the Lord. Watch for almost his signature way of doing the, the thing that did not come into our mind. That is what the Lord has done as accomplished. You would imagine how the Lord would have turned Jonah back from running away to go and to preach at Nineveh, being thrown into the sea and a, and a large fish prepared to swallow him up. All of these things that are the Lord's doing, we might say with the words of Scripture, and is marvellous in our eyes. Another thing to gather from this account is the people that he will use in it. He doesn't choose the Lord on whose hand the king leaned. Well, he was put in front of the gate, but there he was slain. But to bring the tidings, we have these four leprous men. And they are the ones that God chose. Outcasts from society because of their condition and their illness. And they are the ones that are to find this great provision be the tidings of the wonderful deliverance the Lord has wrought for them. The Lord uses means and uses those that men perhaps have just cast off as not being worthy even of notice. We think of our Lord, is not this Jesus, the carpenter's son, Jesus of Nazareth, how many despised him, how many derided him. Another thing to note, there were these four lepers. They were in a situation together, they were afflicted together, and they were in the same predicament, and they speak one to another. And really they... We're saying, well, we can't do any worse falling out to the Syrians because we're going to die in the city of famine if we go out to them. They might keep us alive, but if they kill us, we'll just be the same as in the city. And they're speaking one to another. And in our text, we find them speaking one to another again. Saying one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. It's a good thing where there are those that walk together as iron sharpeneth iron, that are able to edify and speak one to another. Then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another. We read in Malachi. And those two on the way to Emmaus were doing just that. And the Lord drew near to them and asked them what manner of communications they had and why they were sad. And he drew out from them all what had happened, the crucifixion, and how they trusted that it should have been he, the Lord Jesus, that had redeemed Israel. Their eyes were holden, they could not know who it was that had joined with them. And he who knew all things would draw out from them what their sorrow was and what their perplexity was. And then he reproves them, they fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he opens up in all the scriptures concerning himself. Very often we have not just one alone, 
but two together that are communing or speaking together. We think of Philip Nathaniel. Philip, he has tidings, he is found, he says to Nathaniel, him of whom Moses and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip's answer was, come and see. And he goes to him and in that way he's brought to personally know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have these things that are set before us in this account, a very real account, an account of history that actually happened in Israel, how the Lord appeared to them, how he delivered them from their enemies and provided for them, and the individuals that were involved in it, how the Lord spake, and how the Lord performed it, and that solemn judgment on the one that derided and did not believe that the Lord would do this. In fact, in one sense, he is saying the only way that the Lord could do it was for a miracle directly from heaven, a bit like the manna, perhaps, from heaven. Instead of using things on earth, instead of using means on earth, a lesson for us that the Lord doesn't need to work those things that are, you might say, extraordinary, but can use means on earth, use men, use women, use like here, those that were fearing, hearing something that really wasn't there. The Lord is able to do that. And may we not stumble at the Lord's work by saying, well, how is that the Lord's work? Because men's hand were in it. Why we could then go to Calvary and say, how is that the redemption? of the souls of his people. How is that the sacrifice that our Lord offered when he said that no man taketh my life from me, I lay it down on myself? How is that? Because the Jews captured him. They arrayed him before their council, then brought him to the Romans. The Romans, they condemned him to death and they crucified him. How is this God's salvation? How is this God's work? Because men, men are doing this. He didn't lay down his life. His life was taken through crucifixion. But then when we compare the time they sought to throw him down from the brow of the hill and he walked through the midst of them, Compare with what he said in the garden, thinkest thou not that I could pray my father, he presently give me twelve legion of angels, but then how should the scripture be fulfilled? And we see that what our Lord said to Pilate, thou couldst have no power against me at all except it were given thee from above. And Peter then says, he who was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken them by wicked hands, crucified and slain. And we can see from Calvary, we are not to think just because man has been used, wicked men have been used, that it is not the miracle and wonder working of God that has brought it to pass. The Lord in many parts of Scripture uses men. Wicked brothers of Joseph with the means of putting him in the pit, selling him, bringing him to Egypt. God always determined Joseph would go there, Israel would go into Egypt. That's how he brought it about. And we're not to think, well, because... It was wicked men, it was not God's work. Joseph could see it, clearly see later on. And he says, ye meant it for evil, 
But God meant it for good. And able to look past men and to see the Lord's work. And we're to do that in our lives. And look past men. Though it might be painful, sometimes it is very hard to look past men. Especially when we think, well, we've been wounded. We've been mistreated. We've been unfairly dealt. It's hard to look past the man and to see that this is God's hand. When David was fleeing from Absalom, he had Shimei cursing, casting stones as he went. And Abishai said to David, let me go over and take off his hand. But David said, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be he requite me good for his cursing this day. And David could look past Shimei and see the Lord's hand, the Lord's chastening, correcting hand, and he humbled and he bowed down before the Lord's hand. And so there are many lessons, even from the literal accounts, the historical accounts of these things that have happened to the people of God, because we also, we live real lives, not imagined ones, we deal with men and women and with kings and rulers and the Lord is over all these things and those come under, they're working together for good to the people of God. The Lord controlling men, though men seem to act and they do on their own free will, yet the Lord is over it all. We shall give an account of what we have done and how we have acted. And it's a blessed thing if we can trace the Lord has graciously granted us that faith and trust in him and able to see his work and see his hand. Be able to say this is the Lord's work and it is marvellous in our eyes. Well, I want to bring this uh, portion to more spiritual instruction to us and upon my spirit has been specifically the tidings the word tidings or bringing tidings so I want to think firstly of to consider tidings brought to men if you look up in the dictionary though tidings we might think well usually it can be bad tidings as well as good Yet generally the idea is that it is good tidings, it is good news. The second thing is consider the bearer of tidings. In this case it is the three lepers, these four lepers and then of course they pass it on to the uh, porter of the city and then uh, the porters go and tell it to the king's household. And then thirdly, the receiver of tidings. Wherever there's tidings that is given, there's someone receiving them. And so, in this case, it was the king and his household and how they received them. But firstly, the tidings brought to men. When we think of the things of God, then the most blessed tidings that we could have or given us from God is the truth and to have the word of God and through that word there is tidings or news and good news because right from Genesis to Revelation is God's plan of salvation and way of escape from the wrath to come. Right from the fall of man, it traces back before that to God's purpose of grace and mercy. And we should always remember that what a blessed thing it is to actually have the truth of God, to have the Word of God, to have the Bible, to have that which we may read many times with the tidings in scripture, the bearers of that tiding, 
was were people. We come to look at that at the moment. But in one sense, especially with the ministers of the gospel, they are preaching the word. And so the tidings that are actually brought, we're not bringing anything more or anything different than the word of God. The command is to preach the word, and that is to then preach the truth and to have the truth set before us. Then divided into that is the law of God. The law was given that all the world might be brought in guilty before God. It's really the sentence of death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That message that as Adam sinned, so we also are sinners. And each of us, in our lives, we then sin and add sin to sin. And we know that that sentence is over us, and not just a literal death, but spiritual death. We are dead in trespasses and sins, and must stand before God's judgment day at last. And it is a, a most solemn tidings, most solemn uh, verdict of the reason for sin and suffering that is in the world. Before ever there can be uh, tidings of a remedy, there must be that also of the malady. We wouldn't think of someone saying, well, we've been cured from a very bad disease. And you say, well, when did you hear you had it? And they said, well, we, we didn't. We, we, we just cured of it. And just in a natural sense, generally the order of things is that before someone is cured of anything, they know they've got it. And they're told that they've got it. Usually there's an investigation, a scan or something, and then it is the doctor, the physician, he comes with tidings and he tells what the investigation has shown and what the verdict is. And that comes first. So the law comes first. By the law is the knowledge of sin. But then there's the tidings of the gospel. Really that began with the first promise of the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. That was the promise of what the Lord Jesus Christ would do. Then in Genesis 22, uh, 15, or 18, we have the promise to Abraham, in thee and in thy seed, that is Christ, shall all nations be blessed. So the extent of that, Jew and Gentile, the extent of that. Then we have in Genesis 49 that when Shiloh comes, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. It specifies the time when our Lord would come. A time when there was still a lawgiver in Israel. Though they were under the Roman rule, yet they still had some semblance of law. That's why a Lord was brought before their council first, and that they had some weight with the Roman governors. Thy own people have delivered the unto me and the Lord Jesus Christ then was delivered up at that time very shortly afterwards they lost the Jews lost all semblance of law at all and the Jews in their Talmud they recognize that Shiloh is the Messiah and who can deny when we read the accounts in the Gospels, unto him shall the gathering of the people be, the thousands that went after him, the Jews themselves. They said the whole world is gone after him. And not only while our Lord was on earth, but when he ascended up into heaven, the Spirit was given to the disciples. Then at Pentecost, 3,000 believed, and thousands were converted 
thousands followed the apostles and were blessed. A very significant time in the history of the Jews that really pointed to the fulfilling of those promises that when the Messiah, when Christ should come, that that effect would be men, women, they would be drawn after him, they would be gathered to him like sheep to a shepherd, they would be gathered unto him as drawn by the Father. And so those tidings that when the Lord came were given from heaven by the angels, on earth peace, goodwill toward men, those tidings then were given uh, to the people through first John the Baptist and then the Lord Jesus himself. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have eternal life. The Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. A way of escape from the wrath to come. The Lord Jesus Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfil it, to lay down his life a ransom for his sheep. And the tidings, the gospel tidings, the good news of salvation, is what is proclaimed and set forth throughout the Word of God, not just New Testament, right through in all the types and the shadows. You think of the law, you think of at Mount Sinai, when the tables of the law were broken, then they were replaced, and the completed, unbroken law put in the Ark of the Covenant, a type, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have broken the law, he has fulfilled it. We have incurred the debt, he has paid that debt. That which the Lord has done, finished and accomplished, is the tidings of the gospel. And that is what is proclaimed and set forth. So that is the the tidings themselves. And may we always bear that in mind. The Bible has one message from beginning to end. Now the Lord highlighted that with the two on the way to Emmaus. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Those were the tidings, that was the message, that is the message from God that he gives to his servants and gives to men. So I want to look then secondly at the bearer of tidings. Coming back to the account here, the bearer of these tidings was these leprous men. They had not heard about it, but they became partakers of it. They actually saw. They saw the goods, they started to hide them, they ate of the food that they found. And so when they consider what they are doing, they have food they don't have in the city. They have all of this treasure and all of this and speaking one to another, they say that they do not well. They have a blessing that others did not have, that others needed. And so that is what made them to be bearers of these tidings. How vital it is that especially in the gospel that they that preach the gospel are also partakers of it. When the gospel was to be preached first to the Gentiles, to Cornelius and his household, God chose not the angel to preach it, but Peter. Peter who had denied him three times. Peter who also was the minister 
that preached at Pentecost ten years before and had seen the effect of the Spirit fall upon the Jews, he was to be the one seeing the effect fall upon the Gentiles. But it must be one that had partaken of that salvation. Sinners that are saved, sinners that know the worth of the Saviour, sinners that have tasted the Lord is gracious, those that know what they have handled and tasted and felt, they are the ones that in Scripture are the ones qualified to be the bearer of those tidings. Now, you know officially to be a, a, a preacher, it is to be called with an inward call, an outward call, the people of God, viewing that that minister has the gifts and that the Lord is pleased to bless the word through him, laying him in their hearts. And a minister then is a very distinct calling. But that does not mean that individual believers who have truly known the things of God, who have been blessed in those things, are not also to be bearers of those tidings. The Lord said that ye are witnesses unto me, and that we are to testify of those things that we have been witnesses of and experienced. When the Lord healed those in the scriptures, many of them, they wanted to be with him. The man Gadarene did. But the Lord said to him, Go, go home to thy friends and tell what great things God has done for thee and had mercy on thee. That was his commission. It wasn't to be an apostle or a minister, but those that knew him, those that were his friends, those that knew him what he was once before, now could see the change. Same as the Apostle Paul, they could know and see the change that was brought in him, and they were to be the bearer of these tidings. The man that was born blind, he could say, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. There were some that even questioned whether it was the same man, whether he really was born blind. But he said, I am, I am the same one. And they tried hard to take it from him. They tried hard to take from him the Lord Jesus Christ and his belief in him. He did not know who he was. He conveyed himself into another place. He did not know. Later on, the Lord revealed himself to him. But because this had been something he had experienced and he knew, they could not take that from him. And it's a blessed thing to have even one thing like him that no one can take from us because we have experienced it ourselves. And not just anything, but experience the truth. And experience what the Word of God testifies. And especially with the tidings that are given, my mind goes to the well-known account of when David and his men were fighting with Absalom and Absalom was slain. And then tidings were to be brought back to the city. And there was two men that brought those tidings. One was a Ahimaaz and the other one was Cushai. Ahimaaz, he wanted, he was very eager to bring tidings. He'd done that before. He was a, a, a runner, a messenger that brought the tidings from what was happening at Jerusalem as well. And so you can understand it. But Joab says to him that he should not bring tidings today, uh, but you shall bear tidings another day, but this day shall there bear no tidings because the king's son is dead. This is 2 Samuel chapter 18. And so Ahimehaz knew very clearly from Joab's mouth that the king's son was dead. And yet when he comes to David, who was waiting for tidings, 
then he gives a message that is not clear. Hymer has called and said unto the king, All is well. He fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. Then the king, he is only really concerned with one man, and that is his son. And so the king answers, Is the young man Absalom safe? Now if Ahimeh has a thought, he would have thought, well, Joab has told me the king's son is dead. That's why I could not run first and why Cushai was sent, but Ahimeh has overran Cushai and got there first. But he didn't. The fear of man, as it were, brought a snare. He couldn't bring himself to say clearly what the truth was. So he's asked to stand aside. We might wonder, what was David expecting? How could David expect a deliverance and his son not be killed? How could he expect there to be, was this to be good tidings? Which way would it be good tidings? Which way would it be evil tidings? Was it good tidings that Israel, that David's men had won or that Absalom's men had won? And we wonder, really, well, David was almost in an impossible situation. But then comes Cushai, and he says very clearly, when the king asks him the same question, is the man, young man absent safe? And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Most sad and solemn tidings for David. He's very, very distressed. But how vital it is that when the tidings are brought, that they are faithful, that they are clear tidings. And we see that though Ahimehaz was a good man, yet his tidings were really of no use because they weren't specific enough and clear enough. And that is the most solemn responsibility to all of us, to preach the word. It's very, very easy to be afraid of man or to set forth something that's not really the gospel, and especially the tidings about our own state. One of our hymns says, Nor are men willing to have the truth told. The sight is too killing for pride to behold. And it is very hard for man to receive that. We can hide under many things that will disguise our true state. We spoke this morning of Ezekiel's dry bones and how those bones were at first, they were clothed, they were brought together as a, uh, a people, but there was no breath in them. And then there was to be a prophesying more that there be breath in them. And one of the things that we say this morning, we can, especially if we've been brought up under the sound of the truth, we can look like God's people, we can act like God's people, but we don't have breath, we don't have life, spiritual life in us. And we need to be delivered from that, We're delivered from outwardly appearing or thinking, perhaps subconsciously, that because we have been brought up under the sound of the truth, because we attend a chapel, uh, because we hold to the truths of the Bible and actually may know them very well, then we're not in as much danger as the man down the street, the man at the pub, the man that never comes to the house of God, those that are openly walking in sin. And there's this thought, we are more safe than him. The scriptures are very clear that 
There is not a substitute for the new birth. We are no, not safer than him. In fact, there is more required of those that know more or hear more. And it applies to us all, those that preach the gospel. We're not to think, well, because we are a minister, then it doesn't matter if we are not so careful about our own walk, our conduct, or our heart sins, because, well, that shall be covered a bit by maybe people who have been blessed under our ministry. No. We each must give an account of ourselves before God, and we each must be cleansed in the precious blood of Christ and have a personal faith before the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, I keep under my body, lest after I preach to others, I myself am a castaway. And we know the Lord's people can't be lost. They can't be cast away. But it can appear that way. And when we think of Judas, who must have preached and was very much like all the others, and yet it came a time that it proved that actually he was never one of the Lord's at all. The Apostle says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. The safest thing is that we make our calling and our election sure. So the bearer of tidings, if those tidings are to be useful, then there will be times that it is searching, that it is hard to bring, as a Heimer has found, but also it then comes to the hearing of it. I briefly want to just notice the receiver of tidings. In our account here, when the king received the tidings, he had an explanation for it. And he says, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive, get into the city. Now the king needed the food just the same as any other, no doubt really hoping it was true. But there's that suspicion, perhaps it is not. Perhaps it is a trap. Perhaps it's not really a deliverance. How easy it is to have those doubts, have those fears, especially regarding our own soul's salvation. But one of the servants gave that good advice to investigate, to go and see. And we spoke before of the advice that Philip gave to Nathaniel when Nathaniel was questioning the same. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see. And you think of the woman at the well of Samaria when she says, and again she's the bearer of tidings to the Samaritans right in this same place where this famine was. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. And let them decide where well, they went out of the city and when they had heard the Lord then they said, now we believe, not because of thy saying, but we have heard him ourselves. And we know and sure that this is the Christ, the Saviour that should come into the world. And so receiving the tidings, how vital it is that every time we hear the gospel, every time we hear the word, that we think, what kind of a hearer? It's one of the marks of the people of God that they are given a hearing ear. In every letter, the revelation at the end, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, nearly all of those letters, apart from two of them, five of them, there were things against those churches, hard things for them to hear, reproving things. And, and yet they are set before us as well. Another thing is to be ready for such tidings. I always remember an account of what happened to me 
and I suppose I would have been probably nine or ten, could have been twelve. And I had a dog, Laddie. He was a mixture of a collie and a beagle, but he had collie in him. And there were sometimes that dog got off and he'd be away for three days and once caught him running over the fields with other pack of dogs and where there was livestock. But one day he slipped the lead and a little while after we heard a gunshot and then we didn't know for a week what happened to the dog. And then my father came home and said, oh, I think Mr Wilson shot him dead. Well, I just, as a little boy, as it were, I went round to this farmer. And I remember standing in front of him and looking up at him. And I gave him a piece of my mind. I really had a go at him. He denied each one, shot it. He had one done. He could have quite rightly said, he was in my sheep. I shot him. And he would have been perfectly right, and he should have done. But, you know, I was really, really cross with him. And a week later, I was playing some band movement music on a record player, and my mother burst into the room. She said, turn that off, turn that off. Mr Wilson's dead. He's dropped dead of a heart attack. I do know, I've never forgotten that. I thought, was I part of the reason why he had a heart attack just a week after I really had a go at him and it came as such a shock it really really upset me and going from one moment with playing the music and the next moment suddenly these tidings was a sudden shock the scriptures they warn us to be sober and to be ready that when we should hear such tidings that we should not be shaken, we should not be troubled in mind. Sometimes we can be caught in all manner of light talking and attitude and ways and things and, and suddenly th things come upon us that are so different than that. And... We should be prepared for that time the Lord should return or when we should hear sad tidings and ready when those should come to us, sometimes with their ministry. We may be going about our daily lives and suddenly there's a knock on the door and one of our flocks come to tell us something. And if we're not careful, what will we be found doing at such a time? And so the receiver of tidings is a very searching message. Whoever we are, wherever we are, are we ready to hear the word of God? Is our mind a spiritual mind or is it a carnal mind? Is it full of the things of the world? Or is our heart tuned to the things of God and ready to hear those things? And so... There's these things to consider. The tidings, they're brought to men. The bearer of the tidings and the receiver of the tidings. And may we be those that receive the tidings of the gospel, embrace them and believe them and have joy and peace in believing. May the Lord then add his blessing. Amen.